John chapter 14, verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you that I'm, would I have told you that I'm going there to to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back. And I will take you to be with me that you also can be where I am. You know the place to where I am going. I want to read that again, actually, out of the New American Standard, because that's the Bible that God the Father uses. You know, just saying. Yeah, it's not the King James. No, 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 no. Oh, Lord. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I'll receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. God, that you could come into this place Lord, that you would move ancient boundary stones that we set up in times where we couldn't see you. That you would open blind eyes. That hearts that have ceased to beat would once again hop into rhythm and that it would be with yours. That breath that's grown shallow and weak would become deep and vibrant. we would hear the sound of you singing over us. Hey. All the people together said, Amen. All right. So, what I'm I'm just going to lay out where we're going to go. I... I've come out of a little bit of an education background, and so I always try to tell people where we're going during the time that they're going to be with me so that they don't become afraid and run. Um, Because, you know, when you get going, you know, pretty soon people are like, it's never going to stop. There's no end to this, is there? But there is some things that I want to accomplish here today. We're going to start here in John chapter 14. Um, This message actually comes out of a journey that I've been on personally. About four, I think it was about four months ago, I uh, left a a role that I'd had. I'm in corporate America and in the medical device field. And so, yeah, come on, bro, Sherman Dizzle. That's my dog right there. Sorry, just another another alter ego just popped right out right there. So... uh, that's what I do, and so for the last number of years, I have traveled all over the United States and Canada and sometimes Europe and wherever else doing education about those kind of things for people that do that, and physical therapists, occupational therapists, that sort of deal. And so I actually so I, I managed that for a big company for the whole Western U.S. for a number of years. And then about four months ago, I was praying for about the last six months that God would 
allow me to pastor in the corporate world. So those of you that think that the fivefold ministry is restricted to the church don't understand the body of Christ. Right? Understand that the word of God says that, that the fivefold ministry is given as gifts to the body. Where's the body? Everywhere you are. Right? So that could be Wendy's, it can be trash collection, it can be school teacher, it can be whomsoever it is. But God has put, for the edification of the church, the building up of the body of Christ, he has placed fivefold ministry in all sorts of fields, right? Everywhere you are, because the body of Christ is not defined by four walls. It is defined by big hearts, right? So I began to ask the Lord. I said, God, I really want to pastor. Again, I used to pastor um, in, a, in a church environment, and I thought I would really love to pastor again. It's in my heart to do that, and I would love to do that in a corporate setting. So I prayed, and there was a mad prophetic word. I would go get prophetic words whenever I could. You know, it's a mad prophetic. You're going to, you know, and ask God for what you want. And so I'm asking God for what I want. And so suddenly I got this role, like my dream role. And so I took over 16 locations of a company in eight states and all the people. So 16 leaders, all their teams, Everything I took over leadership of those, and immediately was knocked to my knees and onto my face because how many of you know that those are God's people? Doesn't matter if they're Christians. Yeah, yeah, those are God's people. They belong to Him, and so I was seized with this idea that oh my goodness. What am I going to bring these people? And I began to be seized by this one question. How am I going to, as a person who knows God, how am I, in a corporate world setting, going to draw lines that are right and wrong? Right? Because faith produces something, right? There's a reason that James is included in the canon of the scriptures. It's not to get you to work It's to show you that faith produces something so that you can go, oh, fruit checker. checker. Right? I'm a fruit checker. I don't check your fruit, but I am checking my own fruit. Right? I can look at my own life and go, okay, faith, all this yap, 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 yap stuff that I've got going on, that stuff produces something in God, right, in real life. Rubber does meet the road in Christianity. It's not just theoretical, right? So I began to ask the Lord, I said, what, what does that look like? How, how do I be a person of grace and who believes utterly? Whatever you believe about the finished work of the cross, you, you and I should talk sometime because I'm a little radical. It's done. Your old man is gone. Gone gone. And that's the message that I have for unbelievers. Right? And God is not after your behavior. It's after your heart. Your behavior will follow that. 
But if you believe that you need to legislate behavior first or up front, then you do not trust the work of the Holy Spirit. Right? So the Lord comes in, he, he's, he's made another transformation, and the work of the Holy Spirit in the person that is surrendered to the work and person and lordship of Jesus Christ is inevitable. That's not me saying that. That's Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. It says, he will be faithful to bring to completion the thing that he started in you. Right? That's the word. That's the word of God. So, in the midst of that thing, I'm like, okay, I, got, I, I need to be able to go, because how many of you know that there's one or two issues that come up in the secular, quote-unquote, world? I hate that word, but I'm going to use it just for, for, for lack of a better description. In, in the secular world, there's one or two issues that pop up that you might want to take a stand on. Just saying... This could get a little awkward, could get a little uncomfortable, but what you don't want to do, right, what we don't want to do is misrepresent the heart of God. Because if we are inviting people into a list, a litany of things that they ought to do better than they're currently doing, they will be both exhausted, disappointed, and disillusioned by the God that you've presented. Because it's dependent on their performance to accomplish the goodness of God. And the goodness of God transforms their performance. It's in a completely different paradigm. Completely different paradigm to do that. But faith looks like something. So I began to ask the Lord about this. And this is what the Lord told me. It's a pretty simple thing. And I actually, that's why I texted Zach. And uh, I said, well, what does this look like? And he said, you create a place to come home to. A place to come home to. So let me ask you this. In this room, any mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, children, any friends, neighbors, beneficiaries, <laughs> patrons of the farts? I mean the arts. Sorry. I used to use that with my kids when they were growing up. That's why they're in counseling now. So I'm a perfect choice for the Father heart of God, let me tell you. So, right? So all of us have something like that going on. Anyone have any prodigals in their life? Yeah? Anyone been one? How many, how many times? Just kidding. Don't do it. Right? Right? So, you know, how many times? I, I will. Okay, let me count the ways, <laughs> you know, but not yet this morning much. Hallelujah. So out of, this, out of this verse in John 14, I began to ask the Lord, okay, what does this look like? What does this actually look like in my real life? Because I think that when we, when we talk about the Lord, we need to talk about what, what is it really pastoring is, is what does life look like? Right? I can get, we can get together in discussion groups all day long and live in the midst of carnage and bloodletting. Live in the midst of absolutely broken and vacuous relationships. Sometimes we become best friends with our weaknesses and failings rather than transformed 
by the fruit of the presence of Holy Spirit inside of us. So, anytime you look at the Word of God, you've got to come through a paradigm, right? Is, is anybody, or if you don't know how to pronounce that word and you're just going by uh, phonics, it's paradigm. I'm hooked on phonics. All right, so y'all need more of my coffee. Okay, so um, so in the midst, if you're going to look through a paradigm, a paradigm is a lens for, for lack of a better description. I am looking at all of you through a paradigm that makes you visible to me right now. If not, you are men like trees walking. There's actually Bible for it. Okay. Sorry, that's an old Sunday school joke. So, right? So we look through a lens at Scripture, and we have to form that lens, decide what that lens looks like, and that's going to affect what we get out of the Word of God. So when we look at, at, at uh, what Jesus says here right out of the beginning of John chapter 14, verse 1, 2, and 3, there's context to this that you have to have. Now, how many of you know that the New Testament is entirely relational, Christianity is entirely relational. You cannot demonstrate, live in the midst of, work out of relationship, or work out your Christianity outside the context of relationship. Right? I, I actually, okay, and this is, don't, don't think of all of the, the theologians and, and favorite speakers that you've heard that have said this, but I I have a scriptural problem with that idea that everyone can do everything that the Holy Spirit does. It's unscriptural. You want to go toes to toes? You bring it. Right? It's not. It says that the Spirit, that God gives a Spirit, the Spirit wills. Those gifts are given out as He wants to. Now, here's the really interesting thing about that, right? In the context of the body of Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, end of chapter 1, says that the fullness of Christ dwells in the church. It's in the church. It doesn't say in you. The Bible is very specifically different between individual application and body application. Right? You have to be careful of those sorts of things. So, the fullness of Christ dwells in the church. That means it dwells in the midst of all of you. So, when pastor talks about coming into agreement together we all have get the anointing right I don't I don't know about you but I can stand over by myself in the corner meet God and get blasted and some of you've seen us like that right we're messed up in the corner and I love that I do but I guarantee you that is an entirely different thing than what happens in the fullness and the fullness happens here Right now, look. Let, let's let's just talk about this as an example. How many of you have ever had a, you needed a new, new new set of tires on your car? Now, yeah, right. And so, have you ever been in? How many of you need new tires right now? Okay. So I, now I had five kids, and uh, now I have five grandkids. I know I look absolutely fantastic for having so many grandkids, but uh, so. I had five kids, and I guarantee you that during the course of them growing up, once or twice, I was hunting around for Happy Meal money in the couch, right, to try and get my kids fed, you know, then I'm not terribly exaggerating on that. It might have been rice money, 
You know, I mean, it just isn't always easy when you've got a lot of kids. Anybody's got kids, come, you, know, you know, come on, somebody. Right? So, yeah, you know, so here, here we go. Big family, doing the whole thing. I needed some new tires. I can tell you that I drove around on some bald things with wire sticking out more than once. With my children, <gasps> they were in car seats. It's okay. Right? So I drove around like that, and I guarantee you, I prayed this prayer. God, I need new tires. And I was a word of faith guy, all right? So I came out of the word of faith church. We call that the blab it and grab it crowd. You know, so if you believe you received it, then you can have whatever you ask for. Glory. You know, Ray, glow Ray. All right? So you can have whatever you ask for. I'm calling stuff out. I'm calling out the name of the tire. Because you got to be specific. I'm doing all the right things, you know. I'm calling out the name of the tire, the kind of tread that I want on them. And while I'm at it, I throw in what kind of car that I'd like the tires to be on, just in case he's going to bring the car with the tires. You don't know. He's God. Right? So I call out the tires. I do the whole thing. I can tell you what never happened. I never went out the next morning in Seattle in the rain and went, new tires. That's amazing. Think about the testimony that would be, God. Trust me, I prayed that. I mean, I'm trying to talk God into it. You know, like, he, like he's up there going, well, you know, if you can make a good case, I could be convinced to get you some tires. It's not... It's not about that, right? Can I tell you what did happen? More than once. Somebody in the church came up to me the next week and said, Hey, you know, I was praying for you, and I felt like the Lord wanted me to buy you new tires. Right? Now, why? The question is why. You know, you you can blow past those things and go, Oh, well, that's just new tires. Fabulous. Woo-hoo. Take your new tires and go, right? The 10 lepers all got healed. Only one turned around and came back. The 10 guys still got healed. The other nine ran away totally healed. They didn't get taken back from them because they, you know, Jesus didn't go, well, you're not grateful. There's that hand again, you know? <laughs> right? He didn't do that. No, he, he, they all got healed. Only one came back. So sometimes we have to look at what God does and go, God, what's the treasure stored up in here? And the treasure stored up in there is that God always chooses to meet the needs of his people. Almost always like 99.9999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999
This is Jesus at dinner with his best friends in the universe. These guys are fart-smelling brothers. Right? They've, they, have, they have experienced the worst each other has to offer. I apologize to my mother who is right there for using that word because we were not allowed to when we were young. We're probably still not allowed to, but, but I'm less motivated to follow that rule. It was religious. And so, <laughs> oh my. Pull it in, pull it in, Lee, pull it in. Pull up, pull up, we're going in. Okay, so, right? So, so here's the thing. In chapter 13, since we're looking at this contextually, we have to know what's going on right here. We have to know, anytime that you look at the disciples, what happens with the disciples and the ministry of Jesus, and you think that those things, we distill them down to just literary tools, like we just used the disciples to make a point. You lose something about what's going on in the New Testament right here. Because... These are real men. They have hearts. They can be disappointed. They can be really crabby. There's two of them that like to fist fight. Right? They can be, this is, these are guys that don't have it all together. They're real dudes. And Jesus is a real human being. The Bible says really clearly that we do not have a high priest who is a stranger to our weaknesses, but has experienced everything that we have. And he had to in order to be the high priest that could deal with our problem. So, two things happen in chapter 13. First of all, Judas pulls off perhaps one of the two largest betrayals of Jesus personally in history. Now understand the level of relationship. Just beyond, you know, the 12 dudes. Jesus preached to thousands and only pastored 12. These are his 12 best friends. So Judas has just sold Jesus' life for 30 pieces of silver. Not talked bad about him. Not let slip a secret that you wished he would have kept secret. Not disagreed with him about some little thing or spoke rudely about his wife or girlfriend. He sold his life for 30 pieces of silver. Imagine for a minute that this was your best friend for the past three years. Sometimes we get this idea about Judas that Jesus somehow during the course of that three years kept him at arm's length. And he was like outside of the inner circle. There is no place in scripture that tells us that. He was his friend. There's an Old Testament scripture that says, the one who is near me has lifted up his heel against me. It's a, it's a prophetic scripture speaking to the New Testament about Judas. So Judas sells him for 30 pieces of silver. And right before chapter 14, very end of 13, Peter, who's his best friend. Now there's two hearts involved here that we see in motion. We see Jesus' heart, we see Peter's heart. Peter is a little headlong. <laughs> we bit impulsive, right? Now in a couple hours here, we're at the, you know, we're, we're, we're at the last supper. So in a few hours here, Peter's going to hack a dude's ear off with a sword. 
I have some friends like this. You know, you got to be real careful where you take them. I'm just saying. And you keep them, you don't give them any sharp things. Right? I'm just saying, you know, right? Yeah, come on. Glenn knows what I'm talking about right here. All right, so, but, but be that as it may, in a few hours, somebody's going to make a mistake and give Peter a little sword. And it's going to go south. Peter's just a wee bit impulsive. And Jesus says, he's laying out some stuff conversationally, just dudes talking with one another. They're laying around. You know, it's a Middle Eastern thing. If you've ever eaten Middle Eastern food, they're all laying on the floor pretty much to eat, doing the whole thing. Peter is there, and Jesus says, I'm going to a place you guys can't come with me. Peter's like, what? There's no place. Why can't I go now? I'll go anywhere. I'll die for you. And Jesus says this thing to Peter. He says, Peter, will you die for me? He says, before the sun comes up, you're going to abandon me entirely. Now, I don't know about you, um, but if my best friend says to me, and Peter is arguably one of the inner circle, right? So if my best friend says to me, by morning, you are utterly going to betray every part of our relationship and abandon me completely. There are two hearts in play here. Jesus is dealing with the, the beginning part. You know when you're on the runway and the plane goes like that? This is the beginning parts of Peter's betrayal right here. Peter's laying the groundwork in his impulsiveness. And Jesus knows his heart. Jesus knows that he's not crabby and dirty and yucky. He just knows that he's not going to be able to stand up to what he's just, he can't cash the check he just wrote. Right? And, and Peter is stopped dead in his heart because he, at that place, doesn't realize his own heart And Jesus just told him that he's going to abandon him. His best friend, you're going to abandon me. I don't know, that's pretty painful. The next words Jesus says are, do not let your heart be troubled. Because I'm going to make a place for us to be together. Right? Now it's interesting If you look over in John chapter 15, you see all through there the word abide. Abide in me as I abide in you. Abide in the vine, yada, 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 yada. Abide, 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 abide. That word is meno in the Greek, and it means literally to stay home. To stay home in God. And so Jesus comes into John chapter 14 right here, and he begins to say, I'm going to make a place for you to stay home. I'm going there, and I'm going to come again. I'm going to get you, and we're going to be together because that's my heart for us to be together right there. Now, with that understanding of what God's heart is, even in the face of right on the heels of the ultimate betrayal of his life, let's pole vault over to Luke chapter 15. And I'm sorry, I have to work out of the numerican standard because I'd just be sinning if I went with anything less. Ah, the Lord will forgive I know. I'm totally kidding. Don't let that settle on you like a religious thing. Unless it needs to. 
I'm just, I'm just kidding. So Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Now this story, I'm just going to, you can have it open if you want to, but I'm just going to lay some stuff out to you and, and we're going to kind of bring this thing home right here. This is a story we're all really familiar with, right? What's the name of this story? Actually, that's not the name of this story. I love what the NIV 2011 does with this title right here. It says, a man with two sons. This is not the story of the prodigal son. It's the story of two sons. But more than that, it's the story of the father. Now, I want to ask the question. You'll ask this question periodically as we go through just this little story right here. And the question is, where was the father? Those of you who are mothers, brothers, sisters, cow, cats, dogs, you know, all those things. You have people in your life that are out there and you're like, I need to draw a line, right? Husband, a wife, wives especially. (laughs) Baby, I love you. (laughs) If I did that, there would be scars. It's not good. It's not good. Don't do it. So we don't just draw a line. But how do you draw that line and be in grace? Grace for days. Look, we're the people of grace for days. That's why this series is so beautiful. That's our birthright. We get to be those people of grace for days. We get to release it. It's the fragrance of who we are. We're the people of grace for days. We empower life everywhere we go. We're like a wind that blows into a stagnant room. We blow in. We blow open the curtains. We blow open the shutters. We blow away the dirt. We blow away the grime. We didn't sweep up the dirt. We blow it away and displace it. Right? This is a man who has two sons. The next little thing is super interesting to me. It says that the younger one, now why does it say that? Why is that important? I mean, you would assume that if they're not twins, you know, I mean, even if they are twins, there's a younger one and an older one, right? I mean, but why is it important to make a point of the fact that there's the younger one? I'm going to throw something out there to you. You can just think about this. So, In this story, there are two systems represented. The younger son represents relationship. The older son represents religion. Or you could say the religious spirit. Man's attempt to put structure to how to access the father. The goodness of the father. That's what what religion does. Gives us some sort of framework that we can say if I do this and this and this and this and this I'm in if I leave I'm only like 30% out but 60% in and that's three of those things I didn't grow up Catholic very Protestant some days really Protestant so right so in the midst of this thing now we have the younger son the younger son comes to his father And he asks for his part of the inheritance. Now, problem number one, the younger son is not the one who gets the inheritance first. 
The older son's the one who gets the inheritance first. But the younger son, even though he is an imperfect picture at this point, he understands at least that his inheritance is because he's a son, not because of his birthright or order, right? It's his relationship to the father. So he comes to the father. The father says, very well, I'll give you your part of the inheritance. I'm going to divide it up, and I'll give you your part. Now, about a little bit later than that, the father, the young son, takes off, and he heads off into a distant land, it says, And while he's there, he gets a disco ball, a little bit of pharmaceuticals, a hot tub, some fast cars, and the ladies to go along with it, right? He's got it all going on. He's a party on wheels, right? And he got a scooter from Shermadizzle over here. Come on, dog, right? Drop it low and make it go. All right, so... So he, he does this stuff, and he ends up over there like this. Now, let me tell you something. Do you think that the father had no idea that the son was going to do that? I mean, one day he just woke up and went, woo, I'm out. He was the picture of perfect obedience up to then, right? Please. Please, that's that. that he's, God is God, and the Father is not a. My Johnny would never do that. It's not how the Father rolls. So let me ask you a question: In the midst of this thing, where's the Father? Father's at home. The Son now has gone to a distant land. What is his relationship to the Father? Still a son, but he's in a distant land. He's now a son in a distant land. And he has resource given to him by the father. Strangely enough, he gets to spend that resource however he wants, right? Come on, Glenda. He gets to spend the resource however he wants in the distant land. And he spends it poorly. Right? And he ends up with no more resource and there's a famine. He begins to be in need He sells himself to the father of the distant land. Different household, different rules. That father, also referred to AKA as the father of lies. Here's a couple of interesting things. Pigs, taking care of pigs, is the worst possible job for a Jew. You know why? Not because they stink, but because they make it impossible for you to worship. Touch pigs, mess with pigs, you're out of the temple. Under religious system, the presence of God is location-centric. You have to go someplace, be in a certain place, act a certain way to interact with God and get anything from him. This kid is a wreck. He has gone to the lowest, talk about being at the end of yourself, this is the end of himself. 
He's at the end of himself. It says he comes to his senses. Interesting side note. So the devil's referred to as Belzebul, right? Which, does anybody know what that means? You read the book in high school. Lord of the Flies. Where are there a lot of flies? Just saying. Drop that in there for a second. So here we go. The son comes to his senses. He's like, whoa. I would like to eat. These pigs are eating better than me. I'm taking care of the worst thing, and they're eating better than me. And he crafts a perfect speech. The reason I say this is perfect is because for all of those of us that have set up bars and measures of what it will take for somebody to come to us and repent, have helped people make this speech. All of those of us, you probably didn't hear me say that out loud. All of those of us who have set bars for what it looks like for somebody to come and repent to us and get back in our good graces have helped somebody write this speech. In the midst of this speech, the youngest son surrenders his sonship and says, I'd like to just be a hired hand. He doesn't understand the father. He knew he was a son, but he thought it was based on being worthy. So he's no longer worthy, so he can't be a son. But he knows that even the religious performers at least get to eat. So he goes home. And his father comes to him and does three things. Well, four things, really. It starts with him seeing him way, way, way far away. It's way on the horizon. His dad is looking for him. He's looking for him. Do you want to make a place for somebody to come home to be looking for them? Look for them in the distance. Any place where you start to see them come to their senses. Don't pile something on them. Validate that they're coming to their senses. Expand relationship. Don't demand performance. The father sees him coming. He runs off into the distance. Grabs his son. The son presses play on the little recorder. Father, I am no longer worthy to be your son. Make me as one of your hired hands. The Bible gives no indication that the father even listened to him. I mean, just like literally ignored him. Turns to the servant, says, I want you to go get the best robe I've got. In one fell swoop, talk about the finished work of the gospel. In one fell swoop, he takes the robe, he wraps up all the bad smell, all the bad performance, all the marks, all the dirt, every bit of it with a robe of his creation and his possession and his earning and his... Do you get the his part? It's utterly the father and it's utterly nothing the son did. And he covers him entirely in the robe. Nice part about robes, 
They leave like your feet and your head out, right? You can see where you're going, but everything else is covered up. Some really horrible things have been hidden inside robes. Right? I'm just saying. So he's wrapped in the robe. The next thing the father gives him, so crazy, gives him a ring. I know, and this is not bling, right? This is not a bling ring. When you get a ring in these days, it's like you're, you going to one of your kids and going, by the way, kids, here's the checkbook for the house. Not only is it the checkbook, but it's the authority to enter in to agreement, binding agreements. The son now has the power to make an agreement that the father has to abide by. You catch how powerful that is? Sometimes we wonder about the idea, pastor talks about this a lot, and I promise you I am going to finish. Sometimes we wonder about this. Pastor talks about the fact that God does not exhaustively control everything in the universe, right? You have your friends that go, hey, if God's so cool, how come there's murder and rape and, and, and genocide and, and ISIS, you know, and not the Greek goddess one? You know, how come, or Egyptian goddess, sorry. How come, how come? Well, because mankind had the authority to make an agreement, And the father could have sovereignly precluded that, but not in the context of relationship because you cannot have relationship in the midst of control. You have to leave the possibility that somebody can say no. You are powerful people. You can say yes, you can say no, right? The the son could. So he gets the ring. He also gets a pair of sandals so he does not have to walk in the crap anymore. In those days, every road's covered with crap. People who were wealthy had sandals to protect them from that. An interesting thing, just as we kind of wrap around this at the end, where's the father? Where's the father right now? He's at home. Where's the son? at home. Just conversationally. If you don't make a place to come home to, if the father had left and gone to the distant land and lived with the son, sometimes we think that grace means that God somehow compromises who he is to be a part of the distant land, to be a part of that culture. Now, I'm not talking about how you communicate. I'm not talking about language. I'm not talking about any of those things. But identity-wise, that the father was in the midst of establishing a home. If you are not taking the time to establish your home for somebody to come home to, then there will be no place to come home to. And you will be adrift with a list of rules. You and your rules will be adrift. 
But if you create a place that's filled with the heart of God, people will come home. People will come home. People who are far away will come home. They want to come home. Sometimes they don't even want to admit they want to come home, but they want to come home. I guarantee you. Broken people are not happy to be broken. They're happy to do what they're doing right now. But they don't attach that to being broken. And where do you heal from being broken? Go home. It's a place of safety. The very last part of that story, this is, I grew up in the part of the church where even though we were charismaniacs, we, uh, we had very, maybe, maybe even more religious rules than, than not charismatics, you know, about what it was to be holy and not holy and whatnot. So, you know, you would hide in church and hope. I mean, you didn't want to go up for a prophetic word because you were so afraid somebody was going to call out the fact that you were sleeping with your girlfriend. I don't know, you know, or whatever your thing was. So we didn't understand some things about New Testament prophecy in those days and the heart of the Father. So the Lord doesn't expose people and humiliate them. He exposes to heal, but that's always in the context of relationship and love. I can tell you, if you're in this place right now and you don't know this house, always come up for a prophetic word. Always come up for prayer. You will not be exposed. You will not be humiliated in this house. You will not. That is not New Testament prophecy, especially not prophetic word. It's not ministry. That's horrible. I I don't even know. There's other words I could use too. The older son, who's the religious model, he says, I've always done everything. I work and work and work and work, work and work and work. I should never move like that again. Our daughters are horrified far away right now. Work, 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 work. I'm just working it. And you never give a party for me. Comes in and he hears the sound of rejoicing and he's pissed. I'm not going in there. And the father comes out. Same father, same house, two different paradigms of relationship. And yet they're both in the same house. So if you think that your religious brothers and sisters don't have any way to get to God, trust me, he's big enough. Right? God goes outside to him and he says, what are you doing out here? He says, I'm not going in. God says, your brother was lost and is found. We had to rejoice. Doesn't say that we decided to throw a party. Said we couldn't help it. 
do the thing. So a couple things. Um, prayer team, you guys can go ahead and come up. And, and uh, I had a couple things in my heart for this morning. I know that there are some of you that have prodigal people in your life. Friends, neighbors, beneficiaries, patrons of that stuff. And you wrestle with making a place to come home to. If that's a battle and you're trying to find what that looks like, I want you to come up and get some prayer for that. Come up and engage. Get some prophetic word from this gang. Get some prayer. And here's the last thing, and I'm going to do this first service, but if you are a person who has never recognized that the love of God is poured out for you. That this atmosphere is different than the atmosphere that you've been in. That there is a place to come home to and it belongs to you. If you've never decided to explore that, You notice I didn't say arrive at this big place of belief. If you're interested in grabbing a hold of the thread of that sweater, Pastor Zach talked about this in first service, and pull that thread and see what unravels. The goodness of God is over you. He's been after you. He's abandoned you. He's been after you. In the midst of every place of barrenness, every lack, every place where you thought you were all by yourself, you weren't. And I guarantee you, he's a hider of treasure. There's treasure hidden in the midst of the place where you are. And he wants to go with you and dig it up. He wants to transform your life utterly. If that's you, then I want to pray with you. And you can come up afterwards. And uh, so if one of those two things is true, and you need ministry in those areas or prayer for any other reason, um, then come on up. And uh, Pastor, do you want to close? Or... Come on, are you thankful for that word? Amen. So we're going to dismiss you. If you need prayer, you want prayer, we just invite you to come. Uh, And then if it's your first time or you've been coming recently, you're newer, new-ish, we have a little area in the back where it says engage. You'll see the screen back there. We want you to go back there, uh, meet uh, Connie, our host, and then uh, Travis, if you're here, one of our our leaders, pastors, if you could be back there and we're going to join in just a moment. Uh, We'd love to connect with you. Uh, and all that stuff. So listen, are you all ready to go? Be blessed right now. Lift your hands up with me and just say, Lord, thank you for your love and your presence. Thank you for what you're doing inside of us. We receive your love in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be dismissed. And if you need prayer, please come right now. Those of you that feel that call to come, just come on up. We have a prayer team up here that just can't wait to minister, prophesy, pray over you. They are anointed. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Bless you.